Good morning, Sanctuary. Uh, my name is Edrin, lead pastor here at the Sanctuary Covenant Church, and it is my honor and privilege to be able to stand before you today um, and to share um, in this way. Um, I, I want to thank all of you for being here. Thank you for all of our first-time guests for making today a part are making this service a part of your day. And I also want to thank our uh, worship team and our band. Can we just thank God for how they lead us each week? Thank you all so much for sharing your gifts with us. Um, I want to jump into this word today because we also want to share in communion. Um, but before I do, I have to acknowledge um, the tragedy that took place yesterday in El Paso, Texas. Um, we've been here far too many times before trying to make sense of things that really don't make sense. And my heart breaks again for our brothers and sisters in that community who saw violence um, attack the peace that all people should be able to live in. And the more the news comes out, more news that comes out about this, it, it now seems as if it was targeted specifically against our Latino brothers and sisters. And although Sanctuary doesn't have a huge Latino population, I, I want to say to those of you who are here, but also speak to our brothers and sisters who will hear about this in other ways, that we see you. We know that God loves you. You too are a child of God. And because of that, we believe that you have the right to the dignity, the same dignity that we want for ourselves and for our children. You deserve that as well. And my heart breaks that we are at a place in our nation where your very existence is now becoming a talking point and your safety is not guaranteed in many places. And so I want to encourage us, Sanctuary, to lean into this conversation, to step forward and have this be a part of our, our, our collective concern. Until all of us are free, none of us are free. So I pray, Lord, have your way. Maranatha, come, Lord Jesus. May the kingdom of heaven break through in real and tangible ways all across this nation and all across this world. Father, I pray and look with expectation to the day when death and violence and hatred, and racism, and all the other things that attack the peace that comes from you when those things are no more. And God, I don't just passively wait and pray for those things. I, I, I call our church, God, to more intentionally work towards the coming of those, the peace that you can bring. So, Lord, I pray that we as a church will see one another, that we would love one another, that we would draw ourselves toward one another. As our message will call us to today, I pray that we would see one another as brother and sister. We would grow in connection to one another, that your problems would be my problems. Your joys would also be my joys, that we would really bear with one another as the word calls us to. Help us, God. We can't do this without you. Apart from you, we can do nothing. So have your way in this nation and around the world. 
at this time in Jesus' name. Amen. We are in week three of a series that we're calling Road Trip. Road Trip, where we get a chance as the summer days are sneaking away from us, we get a chance to look at that phenomenon that is the American Road Trip. And we kicked this series off two weeks ago, looking at the ways in which road trips are awesome and incredible, but also the ways in which road trips can teach us something about discipleship. And it was an incredible message. I can't say that about myself. It was a decent message. Um, <laughs> but then Pastor Mike came last Sunday and talked to us about uh, directions, road signs, apps, and maps. How do you make decisions on road trips? How do you know where to go? How do you know what to do? And today we want to talk about another aspect of road trips, the fact that road trips are not a solo adventure. So our message today is called Road Dogs. Who are you riding with? Who are you riding with? Who are your people? And I pray that you will hear God through this message today. And so I want to go ahead and ask you, if you have Bibles, go ahead and open them up to Luke chapter 6. We're not going to read it right now, but go ahead and open your Bibles up if you have them. If you have it on your phone or something, go ahead and queue it up to Luke chapter 6. We're going to start reading with verse number 12, actually. Luke 6, beginning with verse 12. Many of you may be wondering, or may have wondered at the beginning of this series, why do we need more conversation about discipleship? Why do we need to talk about discipleship more? And as I said in week one, I'll say it again today, we need to keep talking about discipleship. We need to keep uh, about the work of discipleship because discipleship is the primary work of the church. What matters most about any church is the work of discipleship, not how sleek the website is although I'm grateful that we have a nice one, not how skinny the pastor's jeans are, or not how loose and holy the worship leader's T-shirt is, not even how many social justice causes the church advocates for. All those things have some place, I, I believe, but the most important thing about a church is whether or not God is being glorified and people are being taught to live as disciples of Jesus. Healthy churches are not churches that are fancy and have great light shows. Healthy churches are disciple-making churches. It's been said that if you focus on making disciples, you will inevitably build the church. But if you only focus on building the church, there's no guarantee that you will ever really make any disciples. And as we think about discipleship today, I want you to know, particularly in this message, that discipleship is not a solo adventure. Sorry, introverts. The call to discipleship is a call into community. It's a call into authentic, transformative relationship. Discipleship is a call to be intentionally, to be an intentionally active part of a network of brothers and sisters called together by Jesus Christ. Discipleship calls us to see one another as family. I heard a story of a small city in the South where a major storm happened over the course of a weekend. And there was major flooding as a result of this storm. And people were gathering their belongings, trying to save what they could. The National Guard was even called into the city. And this soldier who, who had been called in was young. Uh, and while on patrol, he saw something that touched his heart. He saw a little boy walking in waist-deep water, carrying another little boy on his shoulders, 
And at the very same time as he was carrying that other little boy on his shoulders, he was trying to carry some luggage in one hand and a large bag in the other hand. And the soldier looked at him and he ran over to help the boy and he said to him, let me help you. I know you must be tired. He said, you've got all these bags and you've got that boy on your shoulders. That's too much weight for you. That's way too heavy. And the little boy looked up at the soldier with a determined face and said, sir, I don't care if he's heavy. He's my brother. This young boy wants to teach us something about discipleship if we will let him. He wants to teach us something about community if we will let him. The fact is, when you see someone as your brother, when you see someone as your sister, you don't care how heavy the load is. You don't care what it takes. You will go the extra mile with them. You, you will bear their burdens. You will do everything in your power to get them where they need to be. And so here's the blessing of community, that you extend all that energy to somebody else, and they will do the same for you as well. That's what it means to live in community, to see one another as brother and sister, to do whatever it takes to get someone else where God has them to be. I've been thinking about community this week, and I, I, I've been trying to frame it up this way. I, I want to live my life and pour my life into relationships in such a way that my wife won't have to bribe eight people to carry my casket when I die. I, I want there to be a competition. No, I want to be the pallbearer. He was my best friend. I, I want to live my life in such a way that a, a speaker doesn't have to stand over my casket someday and lie about the kind of life that I lived. I want to pour out my life so that others may grow and become the people that God wants them to be. Discipleship is about knowing others and being known by others. Discipleship is about loving others and being loved by others. And so in this third message of our road trip series, I want to ask you a couple questions. Who are you with? Who are your brothers and your sisters? Who's got your back? Who knows you and loves you? Who is on the road with you, helping you to become what God wants you to be? You see, discipleship speaks to a very human, very deep need that all of us have, regardless of how shy we are and how much we say we don't really mess with people like that. All of us have a very deep need to belong. All of us need hashtag my people. But belonging is not just about having friends. Belonging is for the purpose of becoming. Belonging is for the purpose of becoming. We, we want community. We need community because it helps us to become the people that God wants for us to be. It's been said, if you want to go fast, go alone. But if you want to go far, go together. If you want to go fast, go alone. But if you want to go far, go together. And so, sanctuary, who are you with? Who are your people? Who are the folks who know you beyond the veneer? The, Old Te the New Testament serves as a wonderful reservoir of insight as we seek to determine how to live as followers of Jesus. We don't have to live our lives in a way of, of guessing, running around guessing, or simply being tossed back and forth by every single doctrine of the day. The Bible, God's Word, is a gift to us. It is a roadmap that guides our spiritual journey. 
Here's what the Apostle Paul says in 2 Timothy 3.16. He says, all scripture is God-breathed and useful for rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. In other words, as the message translation said it, every part of scripture is God-breathed. It comes from God. It is useful in one way or another. It shows us our uh, truth. It shows us truth. It exposes our rebellion. It corrects our mistakes. It trains us to live God's way. And through the word of God, we are put together. We are shaped for the tasks that God has for us. And so my prayer for us as a church is that we're not simply here to fix ourselves. My prayer for us as a church is that our prayers, would, our hearts cry would be something more than what we see on TV with Ayala Fix My Life. Instead, brothers and sisters, when we gather, we're placing ourselves at the feet of Jesus and under the word of God so that God can mold us and shape us into what God has called us to be. And so when it comes to the question of how can we live in community, we don't have to guess. We don't have to simply depend on the wisdom of this world. We can look to God's word because God's word will both inspire us and it will inform us. So let's look together at Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6, beginning with verse number 12. Here's what the word of God says. One of those days, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. When morning came, he called his disciples to him and chose 12 of them, whom he also designated apostles. Simon, who he named Peter, his brother Andrew, James, John, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon, who was the zealot, who was called the zealot, and Judas, son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. Verse 17, he went down with them and stood on a level place. A large crowd of his disciples were there, and a great number of them from all over Judea and from Jerusalem and from the coastal region of Tyre and Sidon, who had come to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. Those troubled with impure spirits were cured, and the people all tried to touch him because power was coming from him and healing them all. 2019 here at the sanctuary has been the year of live Jesus. That's been our theme all year. We've gone back to that theme over and over and over, live Jesus. It's why we've spent so much time in the Gospels, because it's impossible for us to live Jesus, to live in Jesus, to live for Jesus, to live like Jesus, or live with Jesus if we don't know who Jesus is. And our text today allows us to see something about how Jesus viewed relationships. And we see that Jesus lived out his life in three primary relationships. Jesus lived out his life in an up relationship. That was his relationship with God the Father. Jesus lived out his life with an in relationship. That was his relationship with his chosen followers. And then Jesus lived out his life without relationships, with an outward relationship. That was the relationships that he had with the hurting world around him. There's an image I want to throw on the screen. You've seen it before. I call it a discipleship discipleship triangle. It helps us to understand Jesus' rhythm of living up with the Father, in with his followers, and out with the hurting world around him. 
And as Jesus calls you and I today to come and follow after him, he calls us to also live out our lives in these three-dimensional relationships, up with the fathers, in, up with the father, in with other followers of Jesus, and out with the world around us. So my first point today in this message is that as disciples of Jesus, we are learning to walk with God. As disciples of Jesus, we are learning to walk with God. Luke chapter 6, verse 12 says this. One of those days, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. One of those days, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. Jesus does here what we are taught to do, uh, what we are taught was a regular practice for him. He created space to connect with God the Father. Luke tells us that Jesus was at a critical moment in his ministry and he had a vast decision before him. So rather than simply make that decision from his gut, he pulls away and he communes with the Father. Jesus had already been tested in the wilderness. He'd already been rejected in his hometown of Nazareth. He'd already done miracles. He had already driven out spirits and healed many people. And he'd already begun to gather followers around him. His, the opposition against him was also growing. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law were already plotting on him. And Jesus hits pause on everything that he was responsible for. He goes to a mountainside and he spends the night praying to God. I wonder what Jesus' prayer was like. On that mountaintop? Was he praying through fear? God, give me courage. I don't know what to do, and the opposition is growing about me. Was he praying for strength? Make me strong so that I can stand against this opposition? Was he praying for wisdom and guidance? Lord, I want to do your will above all things. We don't know for certain, but we know that when Jesus was faced with a very difficult, very difficult decision, he leaned on the relationship that he had with God the Father. Brothers and sisters, the fundamental relationship in Jesus' life was the personal, intimate, familiar relationship that he had with God. And it wasn't like some of our relationships with God. Jesus wasn't fearful of God. Jesus delighted in connecting with the Father. And I want that same thing for us. When I think about the ways in which I want us to learn to connect with the Father, two words come to mind. The first word is intimacy. And the second word is delight, intimacy and delight. Intimacy speaks to closeness, not necessarily how physically close we are to God, but it's a relational, a relational thing in the sense of how relationally close are we to God? How much space is there between you and God? All the married folks in the room will tell you that you can be in the same room, even in the same bed with somebody, and feel miles away from them. Amen, Pastor Edgar. And so I'm not asking you how physically close you are to God. I'm asking you, are you relationally drawing closer to God? James 4 and 8 says, draw near to God, and God will draw near to you. Revelations 3 and 20 says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with them and they with me. Jesus wants 
us to draw closer to God, to draw more intimate relationship with God. But not only does he want us to be growing in intimacy, he also wants us to be growing in delight. Do you honestly enjoy communing with God? Do you think of God as someone that you would draw delight from? Do you love God? Or do you see God as somebody who's sitting on a high perch waiting for you to mess up so he can get you? Why would a God who sent his son to die for us be sitting somewhere waiting on us to mess up? He knows we're going to mess up. But he loves us. So God is giving us an invitation that despite all the things you have going on in your life, there, is, there has to be space for us to draw nearer to God in intimacy and in delight. We see it with Jesus, that Jesus made time, regardless of what was happening in his life, to strengthen his upward relationship with the Father. And the invitation for us today as disciples of Jesus is to constantly be learning what it means to walk with God ourselves. Not only are we as disciples of Jesus called to walk with God, there is a second relationship that Jesus models for us in this passage, and that is simply this. As disciples of Jesus, we're also learning to, walk, to run with other believers. So we, we're learning to walk with God, but we're also learning to run with other believers. Luke chapter 6, verse 13 through 16 reads this way. When morning came, after Jesus had prayed all night on this mountainside, when morning came, he called his disciples to him, and he chose 12 of them, whom he also designated apostles. And they, the, the text goes on to list who they are there by name. Simon, Andrew, James, John, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, Simon, Judas, and Judas. When we think about disciples, usually for all of us, we think about the 12 but Luke here does something different. Luke says there was a larger group of disciples, and Jesus called 12 of them to be his apostles. Where do these other disciples come from? Where, where do these other folks come from, these folks that Jesus chose between to choose the 12? I want you to look with me at Luke chapter 10, verse 1. Maybe you just jot this down and you can look at it later. Luke chapter 10 Verse 1 says this, After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. When we read the text carefully, when we read the scriptures carefully, we realize that Jesus didn't just have 12 followers. Like There were many others who heard the message of Jesus, and they were convicted by their sin, and they chose to follow after Jesus. And there, there were large numbers of followers of Jesus who were called his disciples. But then there were 12 of them that Jesus called to be his closest friends. Here's what I want you to see about Jesus and about our own discipleship, that there's levels to this thing. That not only are we called to run with other believers, but there's also some levels to those relationships. Jesus had the 72, a large crowd who followed after him, who had seen his miracles, who had come to believe what he professed to be, and they followed him as learners and as apprentices of him. 
And he sent them out, Luke 10 says, two by two to go ahead of him into every town, ahead of him into every town. And so who is your 72? Who is the large crowd of believers that you gather with regularly and draw inspiration from? Yesterday, our men's ministry hosted their annual men's barbecue. And there was every kind of grilled meat you can imagine. Brother Terrence brought some ribs that I believe were delivered from heaven. <laughs> Joseph, this brother can literally, he can do everything. Joseph smoked a brisket that was so good, I, I, I won't be going to Famous Dave's anymore. I'm just going to show up at his house like with a couple of dollars. Joseph had an incredible brisket. Brother Mike had some incredible wings. He, he won the, the chicken grilling contest. There was all kinds of food. Brother, where's, where's Ger Gerald's not here this morning? Gerald had some red beans and rice that had the Holy Spirit all over them. And it was, it was about 50, maybe 55 brothers there. That was a large crowd. I don't know every single person by name who was in that crowd. But those are my brothers. I'm in relationship with them. I'm praying with them. I'm, I'm praying for them. As we gathered and took a picture, I, look around, I looked around and I said, this is a wonderful representation of our church. Men who love God, who love their families, and who would give up a Saturday to get together and share some heavenly food. That's the 72 in my mind. Like, I don't know every single one of their stories, but I know they love Jesus. And so I'm able to pray for them. And I'm sure if I ever needed to call on them, any of them would step in and they would be there for me. That's 72. That's, that's what Jesus had, a large crowd around him. But from that 72, Jesus called a 12. He called 12 who he specifically called to a task of going before him and sharing the gospel. Who is your 12? Who's your 12? There were about 15 brothers at that barbecue yesterday that I know very well. I've sat at their tables, and they've sat at my table. And I've heard the struggles that they, they, they have had, and they've shared their struggles with me. And I've prayed with them, and I've walked with them through some very difficult things, and they've done the same for me. And Sanctuary, I'm asking you today, not just who's your 72. Perhaps this worship service is your 72. Perhaps throughout the course of this day, you will meet with about 75 people on your way in and out in that meet and greet. But who's your 12? Who are the people who really know you? Who are the people that you've shared a meal with or shared coffee with and who you can really open up and share your questions and your wonderings with? Who's your 12? Beyond the 12, there's also a three. Jesus had an inner circle. And I know for some of us, that makes us real nervous. Jesus had favorites. I wonder if I would have been one of the three. When Jesus called Peter, James, and John to him on some special assignments, I wonder what the other nine disciples were thinking. That's not fair. But you need... A three, you need some folks who really, really know who you are. Some folks that you be comfortable calling at 2 a.m. in the morning. Some folks who, if you ever found yourself in the middle of some mess that you were never supposed to be in, that you would call them knowing that judgment is not going to be the first thing that they give you. 
they will come and get you, and then we'll talk about it tomorrow. Who's your three? Brothers and sisters, none of us. No matter how spiritual you are, no matter how long you've been on this Christian journey, none of us can do this alone. And so I want to suggest to us that perhaps we can use this as a helpful framework. And the numbers don't matter so much. If you can't get to 72 people, that's okay. But find spaces like this where you can build relationships with people. If you don't have exactly 12 where you can go a little bit deeper with, that's okay. If your life group has seven people in it, Go with it. And maybe you don't have three. Maybe it's two of you. You just have that depth of relationship where you can build, where you can ask the hard questions, where you can dig into the Word together, and you can ask each other the things that that would help you to grow in encouragement and and with accountability because we need both. Here's what I know, though. Many of us are thinking, I already have enough relationships. I have some friends that I have had since grade school. I have some friends that I have had since college. Maybe you have some sorority and fraternity friends already. Maybe you have some Jack and Jill friends already. Maybe you have some folks that you travel with and take vacations with already. And you're saying, uh, can't I just get what I need out of those relationships? I wish I could say yes. But when I talk about this kind of relationships, that, that we're called to this inward relationship, I'm asking you not to simply replace the need that you have for Jesus-centered friendships with some of those other kinds of friendships. I'm asking you specifically, who are you digging into God's word with? Who are you praying with? Who are you confessing with the areas of growth that you have? If you can do that with some of those other kinds of friends, great. Perhaps it can serve both purposes, but don't, don't, Don't substitute the call that we have to build deep disciple-making relationships with some of those other kinds of relationships. Because Many of my fraternity brothers don't care anything about Jesus. They like me, but they can do with or without Jesus. And so I know that I can't simply assume that they're going to help me to grow to be the person that Jesus has called me to be. So Jesus models for us a model of learning to walk with God, learning to run with other believers. But the final thing Jesus models for us is how to learn to ride for the least, the lost, the last, and the lonely. So yes, we build relationships with God. Yes, we build relationships with others who are on this Christian journey with us, but we also are called to build relationships with those who are far from God, those who are hurting, those who are lost, those who are, who are in pain. Here, here's the great danger of this church or any other church. The danger of a church is that we come together and then we become a country club. And sanctuary is as susceptible to this as any church out there because we're some bright people. We're some accomplished people. We're some people who are movers and shakers and well-connected. And if we're not careful, we will come together and start networking with one another and assume that that's the goal. But we've been called together for a specific purpose. Here's what what, what the text says in Mark 3.14. Jesus calls the 12 together so that he might be with them 
so that he might spend time with them, so that he might build strong relationships with them, and so that he might then send them out. Jesus called us, and then he sends us out. Jesus calls us together, helps us to build relationships with one another, and then Jesus sends us out. That's the purpose of everything that we do as a church. Jesus called his disciples and he sent them. And in the same way, Jesus calls us and he sends us. Everything that we do as a church should be to the end that we might go and make disciples. Are we riding with the least, the lost, the last, and the lonely? And is there even a need? Luke 6, chapter 17, uh, verse 17 says this. Jesus and the disciples, he, he went down with them and stood on a level place. A large crowd of his disciples was there and a great number of people from all over Judea, from Jerusalem and from the coastal region of Tyre and Sidon had come, who had come to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. Those troubled by impure spirits were cured and the people all tried to touch him because power was coming from him and healing them all. Jesus was intentional to relate to the crowds, the needy, those who wanted to hear him, those who needed to be healed, those with unclean spirits, those who were desperately in need of deliverance. Jesus went to the crowd and he taught them, he fed them, he healed them, he comforted them, and they received him because they realized that Jesus had power to change their situation. Brothers and sisters, I don't know if you know this or if you've simply forgotten that the same power that rests on Jesus also rests in you and in me. The world came to Jesus. They received him because he had power. And brothers and sisters, remember today that you also have power. You, you don't just have power. You got power. God has given all of us, all who have been saved by grace through faith in Jesus, God has given us the power of the Holy Spirit. You are not helpless. You are not hopeless. You have been given the power of the Holy Spirit. You've also been given access. You have been given relationship with people who desperately are hurting, who are lost, who don't have hope, who are feeling as if God has probably forgotten about them. And your job it's to help the world know that God has not forgotten about you. In fact, God is sending us to you. And so to that migrant family and to that young child being held captive in a detention camp down at the border who's wondering, has God forgotten about me? We're supposed to go to them and say that God has not forgotten about you. In fact, God has sent me to help deliver you from this situation. To that young girl who is considering an abortion and to her unborn child who's wondering, is God, has God forgotten about me? God has not forgotten about them. God is sending us to them. And so we can't just simply sit here because they're wondering, has God forgotten about me? And to that young man right here in this community who's wondering, who's given up hope, who, who, who has no vision for any future beyond the trauma and hurt that he has seen, he may be wondering, has God forgotten about me? What are we going to do about that? 
sanctuary. I want to encourage us up out of our seats, out, up out of our comfort, up out of this, this rhythm that we have of simply coming on Sunday and then going back into the world. We have a message to take to the dark and dying world that says Jesus has not forgotten about you. He loves you and he has sent us to tell you the good news. Our message to the world is that you may be in a dark place right now, but help is on the way. Our message to the world is that you may not see how things are going to work out, but help is on the way. Our message to the world is that you might not feel like you can hold on for much longer, but help is on the way. And we can't carry that message to the world if we don't believe that message ourselves. So perhaps the message, the sermon you need to preach to yourself all this week, Sanctuary, is that help is on the way. That Jesus loves us and has saved us and he has sent us to the world. On this discipleship journey, on this road trip, we're reminded that we don't go at it alone. Jesus' life very clearly shows us that he had a relationship with the Father, that he had a relationship with, with, with the in crowd, those who heard the gospel and were transformed and came to follow. And Jesus had a relationship with a dark and dying world. And they followed after him. They, they flocked to him by the hundreds and thousands because the way he lived and the way he served them said, help is on the way. My prayer for us as a church is that we would begin to regularly walk with God. That we would run with other believers. And that we would also ride for the least, the last, the lost, and the lonely. And as we hear that call every single day, my prayer is that we would say yes and yes again. Father, Father, we, we desperately need your love. We desperately need to know with clarity what you've called us to. And I'm so grateful for your, your word that allows us to, to not have to run back and forth guessing. God, I pray for my brothers and sisters who are hearing this message today that they would see themselves learning to walk with God, learning to run with other believers and learning to ride for the least, the lost, the last, and the lonely. God, I pray that we would continue to be a blessing to those around us. That as we grow up in your love and as we grow towards one another, that we would also grow outward to those who are needing us. God, there's so much need all around us. And we're not simply praying and waiting. We're praying and we're walking out the faith that you've set before us. So help us to do that, Father. Help us to know what this requires of us today and in the days ahead. And Father, I'm grateful that you meet us with grace, that we will always 
always find grace for those times where we stumble and fall. Father, we love you. We give you our very lives. We pray all of this in Jesus' name.